Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and as always, I'm joined by Julian Darius. Julian, how are you doing? You okay? I'm pumped up by this movie, and we are ready to lick some ass. <laughs> That's right, we're going to match his meat. Um, yes, ladies and gentlemen, today we are talking about the 1993, I'm going to say action classic. I think a lot of people do have hold this in high regard. I don't know how often they've seen it, though, in the last couple of years, but the Stallone vehicle... Uh, Demolition Man. Um, we will get to a plot somewhere in a moment, but look, before we start, um, Julian, before before watching this film this time, what were your memories of this film? I don't know if I had ever seen this film front to back before. I probably mm. had back in the day, but I don't recall it. I, I have much uh, clearer memories of the conclusion, probably because mm. I caught this so many times on cable already in progress. Um, so yeah, that's about it. Uh, and I was sort of dreading this going into it. I think I said on the last one, like, oh, I'm not going to like this, am I? But I, I found it, you know, uh, especially once it gets going, remarkably good. Yes. Um, I, 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 I've seen this a number of times over the years. I think sort of like it's a, it's a bit of a Stallone, um, it's, it's, one of, it's one of the heavy Stallone rotations that isn't Rocky Four, to put it that way, sort of, you know. Um, so I, I've always enjoyed this film, and I think people misremember this film, and I'm, I'm going to sort of put a case forward in this film as well, that uh, I think people misremember what this film actually is, having seen it, um, and so I think you know, we'll get into that. But first and foremost, we're going to do that. We did get some feedback from uh, some wonderful listeners telling us that uh, despite Julian and I's massive enthusiasm to get stuck into the films, um, we don't really give a bit of a description of what it is we're going to be talking about. And so from now on, going forwards, I'm going to provide a bit of a blurb uh, up front so you, the listeners, can know what it is we're going to be discussing. So here we go. And later in, uh, here's a bit, of a, a bit of a blurb for Demolition Man. So stick with us whilst we try and do this thing. In 1996, Los Angeles is overrun by crime. And at the top of the criminal chaos is Simon Phoenix, Wesley Snipes. Following the kidnapping of a bus full of passengers... L.A. Police Sergeant John Spartan, Sylvester Stallone, often referred to as the Demolition Man, goes on a one-man assault to take down Phoenix. The attack, success- the attack successfully captures Phoenix, but fails to save the passengers. Spartan is charged with the killing of said passengers, and both he and Phoenix are incarcerated using the latest in stasis technology. 36 years later, Los Angeles has been transformed to San Angeles, a utopian cityscape of technology and tranquility. However, Simon Phoenix is going through a parole process when he is able to escape, leaving a trail of murder in his wake. The San Angeles police confront Phoenix, but are handily dispatched as they are not equipped or trained to handle such levels of violence. Watching in horror as officer Lenina Huxley, 
played by Sandra Bullock, her partner, Alfredo Garcia, Benjamin Bratt, and their chief, George Earl, Bob Gunton. Unsure on what to do, they turn to the saviour of the city and the architect of this future society, Dr. Raymond Cocteau, Nigel Hawthorne. Given the green light to do whatever it takes to resolve the situation, the San Angeles police defrost Spartan and reinstate him. As the nemeses run riot through the city, it becomes clear that the gloss and sparkle of San Angeles hides a dark underbelly of people cast out for not wanting to live in the controlled and managed life of the surface. These people are led by Edgar Friendly, Dennis Leary, the target that Phoenix has been charged with killing by none other than Raymond Cocteau. Cocteau wants to eradicate what is left of the old ways and has been feeding Phoenix the information and training while in his stasis to complete the mission. However, once the monster is unleashed, Cocteau cannot control him. Eventually, Phoenix confronts and kills Cocteau, gaining access to the stasis facility and is now able to defrost an army of violent criminals. Battling their way through goons, Huxley and Spartan find out what Phoenix is planning. Spartan knocks Huxley unconscious for her own safety and goes to confront Phoenix. We'll talk about that. For her own safety. (laughs) Yes, we'll talk about that. The two men battle it out with Spartan winning and demolishing the status prison in the process. The film ends with the surface citizens and the undercity dwellers facing an uncertain future of compromise. So there we have it. That's Demolition Man. And so let's start with... I do want to add a, a point to that, which is that um, this is a very poetic description that makes it seem more logical than it really is. Um, and and one one thing that I'd point out is that uh, Cocteau, Cocteau's motivation for thawing him out is to kill Dennis Leary, the leader of the yes. underworld, although it's not at all clear that the underworld is really that much of a threat. But there is one line in which Cocteau explains now I'll be able to continue, you know, with my renovations of the city and my full plan. This has never been mentioned before. Everybody worships him. It's clear that if he proposed something, it would be adopted instantaneously. He seems to rule as a benevolent dictator. It is not at all clear what, you know, this is just there to justify the the whole motivation of thawing him out. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it, it is, and it's it's one of those things of sort of um, it's not important. Do you know what I mean? In, yeah. in an action film, if this was a, if this was a um, a sci-fi um, drama, nineteen eighty-four or Brave New World, or... yeah, we'd be exploring sort of like Cocteau's sort of plan and, and and what he's up to and, and and you know why and how this is sort of like impacting the rest of America and all this other stuff. You know, thinking of things like uh, a, a um, Handmaid's Tale mm-hmm. kind of sort of you know sort of story you'd have over a number of seasons. This isn't that. <laughs> this is we want to have this fight. We we want to have these two people fight in in a utopian future. And it's going to look cool, and that's about it. And so the the, the the plot is is nebulous at best, I think. But I, I there's something there. There is definitely something there um, uh, that I will, we will get to. But um, yes, Cocteau's plan it should have been a bit more upfront about what he wants. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, at heart, this is two guys going, you know, this, going at each other right i mean it's it's the arch rivalry it's batman and the joker it's it's whatever 
I will say the weakest parts of this movie are the beginning and the ending. That whole, you know, yes, that whole Stallone dropping in on the roof and, and you know, capturing Wesley Snipes is um, is pretty formulaic. And at that point, I thought I am in for a painful ride. Yeah. And that ending is, <laughs> yeah. you know, an action sequence that really boggles the imagination and doesn't make a lot of sense. And has a lot of explosions and a lot of things, you know, being mm-hmm. cryogenically frozen and yada, 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 but really doesn't do much for me. I would say that middle hour or so is pretty solid and is quite mm. enjoyable. It's those those action set pieces that, you know, that really drag it down for me. What I would say is, unfortunately, um, I listened to some of the... Um, uh the commentary for this because there was a couple of things i was i was curious to see what their their thoughts were and so but one of the things i listened to was them talking about the opening assault on on the building who's that and so uh, sorry so the joel silver okay. uh producer so you know big action director joel silver and the director uh marco uh, brambia um and they're discussing it and one of the things that was most interesting is they didn't take this as that they, they or they at no point saw this as a straight up action movie. Mm-hmm. They were like, "Oh no, we knew that what this was going to be," and this whole sort of uh, opening section is supposed to be a satire of those typical one man army rogue cop kind of things. Because Spartan and Spartan and um, and Phoenix are supposed to be sort of like almost caricatures of those characters. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing is, because this film is a satire. That's the case I'm going to make. This film is a satire. I don't think people recognize it as a satire. Now, it's not Robocop level good at being mm-hmm. a satire. And I think that's the problem. It's not sharp enough. <clears throat> but this this is almost trying to... Uh, there was another film that came out in I think ninety two, which is Last Action Hero, which is the, mm-hmm. the the Arnie equivalent of this, of that sort of the a similar thing, and that was obviously way more meta. But I think this is going for they're trying for something similar, of sort of like let's take the most action heroy hero we can provide and the most action villainy villain we can provide and then we'll stick them into this sort of utopian future that was the satire of like how can we satirize these things we feel today about because i think this film is, is a really conservative film as well in a weird way yes. um let's go and satirize this liberal future by putting these action heroes in it but they they keep sort of mixing up the tone they keep sort of forgetting that that's what they're trying to do repeatedly mm-hmm but I think that opening definitely comes off as somewhat satirical. I mean, mm. Stallone drops in and he, the, you know, he stops like a few feet above the roof and, yeah. you know, shoots and, and it's over the top. And, you know, he blo- the, the building blows up as he leaves. Why? I mean, there was gasoline. That was oh, the C4, the, the, the C4 that catches fire, but that's not how C4 explodes. So no, no. <laughs> And, and yeah. you know, and also gasoline, you know, if you if you're holding a lit, you know, it's the fumes that catch on fire. Mm. So lighting the cigarette does it, not throwing the cigarette into the gasoline. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the building blows up and it's just one of these gratuitous. And then there's, you know, like it takes a maniac to catch a maniac. Yeah. It's very yeah. over the top, but it's not <laughs> clear that that's the intent. 
And no. I mean, it is that sort of like mix of sort of Robocop 2 and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of um, shoot em up or something like that. But it doesn't, I'm with you, it doesn't quite keep that tone. It's not clear enough in its intent. I can imagine there's a, there was a script reading of this, like a table reading of this, where everybody was on board. Um, and everyone was like, this is what we're going for, and this is how we're going to do it, and it's going to be this, and it's going to be that. And I can imagine there was this real sort of like really weird biting satire that this film was going to be. However, knowing the stories of Stallone on the set of Judge Dredd and how he and Danny Cannon sort of uh, were at conflict over some of the the approaches to that film. I haven't heard anything, but it would not surprise me if Stallone was involved in. Oh no, this has got to be a. I've got Spartan has got to be a slightly different character. He can't be, you know, yeah. he's got to be funnier. He's got to be have this sort of thing. He's got to do that. He's got. To, I can imagine there being that which sort of like shifts the tone a little bit. Um. Because yeah, he he shouldn't be the hero in this weirdly. Like he's no, he's not. Yeah, he's a bad guy. Yeah. Um, all right, so let, let's get let's get into this, okay? I mean, this you and I have talked extensively about our our love of action movies, but at the mm-hmm. same time, mm-hmm. and and superhero movies fit into this. Uh, at the same time, our qualms if you will, uh, and are concerned that the genre itself and the demands of plot and character are such that this genre and subgenres like superheroes sort of inevitably promote some fascistic and conservative values. Yes. And I think this is sort of a massive case in point. This is a, um, you know, a Donald Trump manifesto. I mean, this is a, you know, I mean, especially taken today, right? This is 93, but still mm-hmm. you have the, there's basically talk about how uh, Wesley Snipes is a criminal, the likes of which you can't imagine. You, well, this is the super predator. He's a black guy that the yeah. white cop needs to take out because he is just into killing. He just and and he's not without a certain charm in this film, mm-hmm. but you know, in his enjoyment, but not as charming as say Nicholson as the Joker or you know something like that. But he has a sort of charm. But yeah, I mean, this is it makes a super predator argument. This is an argument against defund the police. You know what we want are police who can answer calls that they don't need to that are not violent calls here. That has emasculated the society and you need the meat eating, um, you know, action hero to come back and teach these lily livered uh, peacenik liberals how society really works. And it is clear to me which side I'm on. This um, this is an anti-utopian film. I mean, if 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 one word describes this, it's anti-utopian. And it is crystal clear to me outside of the cursing prohibition, because fuck that motherfucker. Mm. Um, you know, I'm absolutely pro cursing, pro pornography, pro violence and yeah. art. Anytime you get against that kind of speech codes and, you know, uh, art regulation, there isn't talk of that in this film, but that's where I part ways. Oh, it's there. It's clearly there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, but I mean, I want you to go into that. But um, all I'd say is there is no doubt I want to live in this future. This future is very appealing to me. Um, it is certainly abundantly clear it's better than 1996. And mm. I don't know why it's such a problem. Yeah, well, there's a couple of things I want to, I want to point out Um about this being, you say, the conservative thing. It's, I'd thought about it before, but I was really, obviously, you know, coming at it to, to, to critique this film this time. It's it's abundantly clear. Um, uh, Wesley Snipes didn't want to do this film originally. Um, he really had to be talked into it. They, they actually went to the set of Rising Sun to talk him into doing it. Uh, and the key factor, like, Joel Silver says, again, this was in the commentary, like, Joel Silver says, like, he's, he's, he's like, we didn't think of him as, like, it's clearly been said since, that we didn't think of him as a black guy. Like, they just wanted him because of his martial arts skills. Like, at that point, early 90s, Wesley, Wesley Snipes was the up-and-coming, um, he was a name, you know, he'd had sort of, like, White Men Can't Jump, and... Um, he was coming on to the sort of the action sort of thing. He was like, say, starring with Sean Connery in Rising Sun, and this was sort of like, oh, we want to sort of show his. I think Passenger Fifty Seven comes after this, but like I said, Wesley Snipes was coming up at this point. Like he was a get, and they felt that he was also the a perfect counter to Stallone in both energy and um, style. So that was sort of what they were trying to sell. Um, and so, yeah, there was there's a real sort because of, apparently what they were going to look for. It, this is interesting. If they couldn't get snipes, they were going to look to the Hong Kong market. Hmm. So they didn't say who, but there was like, we want someone who can do martial arts. We want so the idea being that um, Stallone is that sort of like John Wayne, you know, haymaker sort of like two guns, you know, shotgun kind of style against someone who's going to be a trained fighter and is a lot more slick and that sort of thing. That was the idea. And so that's why they wanted snipes originally. So, it, but it, 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 when you look at it now, there's that definite thing of like, oh yeah, this clearly doesn't doesn't <laughs> doesn't give off a good image. Um, this thing about the conservative, this thing about this, this anti-utopian thing. I, I, you and I, you know, similar beliefs, and I watch a lot of sort of like you know these daft videos of sort of like ultra right wing conservatives of you know all the sort of things like th this is what they hope, this is what they expect Biden's future to be. <laughs> you know, it might as well be Doctor sort of uh, Joe Biden. This is it, isn't it? Like he's going to take away your guns, he's going to take away your salt, he's going to take away your meat, he's going to take away your blah blah blah. Th this Good. is what they're expecting. Yeah. Good. But, but, yeah. But this is the this is it, isn't it? Like, because Dennis Leary, right? This is the odd thing. Yeah, like, the Dennis I mean, Leary let's go back to a day when Dennis Leary, Dennis Leary mm. seemed cool. Yeah, yeah. That this age that ages this film incredibly. Um, but the Dennis Leary character has, and again, we're going to jump all over. We will get to sort of some more minute. But at the end of this film, Dennis Leary has uh, he has a, where he speaks to uh, John Spartan. Uh, about this idea of being free and he has this whole sort of like monologue tirade about like i want to smoke this and i want to sort of like you know do this i want to cover myself in jello and walk down the street naked shouting da, 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 da. why because i want to and all i'm thinking is you come across like an absolute selfish prick like mm -hmm. you know this idea and i'm thinking you are these anti-vaxxers that are now saying I'm an ind I got individual. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry about the accent. I'm going to do this probably for a lot of people, but like I want to be this individual. I have what what do they call it? Individual sovereignty. Sovereignty. Mm 
sovereign, yeah, the sovereign citizen. Boom. The sovereign citizen, the sovereign individual. Otherwise known fit. as, you know, too Prick. mentally deficient to function in society. Yeah. And so there's this thing of um, this, and, and you know, the, 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 there's this idea sort of like, you know, Spartans doesn't try and solve it. I'm, I'm glad he's not the full saviour. He's not like, well, this is how you're going to run society. Like, he's like, you get a bit dirty, you get a lot clean, and you're going to meet somewhere in the middle. But I love the way he's like, oh, you'll figure it out. And they're like, no, y- you lived in the world where they couldn't figure it out. Like, mm-hmm. this is the problem. Like, Right. Um, I mean, and like, let's go to the, the first shot. It's like the Hollywood sign <laughs> defaced and the city in flames. And, you know, crime is completely out of control. And, you know, so, like, what, what, you know, and then when they cut to the future, you know, was it 2030s? It's brightly lit. Those cars look fucking cool. They drive themselves. Yeah, the zone's great. Yeah, I mean, like, this is is awesome. And, look, I mean, I hate fast food, okay? I mean, I'm, I'm... a vegan, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, I hate fast food. I think it is toxic. I think soda is fucking poison. Um, I, you know, I, I smoke cigarettes, ironically, but I am absolutely in favor of a cigarette ban. It would mm. help me, and I would struggle, but, you know, that would be the best thing for me. Um, I'm in favor of, you know, I'm not saying all these things should be prohibited tomorrow, but there's no doubt that these are horrible industries that result in in terrible deficiencies and that our brains evolved from apes are not. And and from times where we had to desperately store fat and sugar for the winter and for when the crops failed next time, our brains are not equipped to go through a supermarket and say no to the Snickers or whatever. So, you know, I mean, I I absolutely am sympathetic to this future. If that's what you have to give up to live in a society where violence is unknown, really, how petty are you that, you know, it, it seems wonderful to me? It's a bizarre it's a bizarre thing of uh, and, and we'll get to the character, Sandra Bullock's character as well. Uh, Lenina Huxley, because I have I have some questions about the, the, what the wider world, and we always say this: like, what's the wider world? Because this is based in in California, and it's California is chosen for a reason as well. Obviously, liberal California. The, yeah, exactly, liberal California. Um, but the question for got that: what what was going on in the early nineties in in California or Los Angeles? Um, because I I stopped and I was like, there's a couple of films. Like there's this 1990 that has 1996, Predator 2, which has got Los Angeles 1997, um, and both. And there's a, I think I'm trying to think like um, it happens before that, but um, uh, Escape from New York is also set in 1997, but that was obviously comes a lot a lot, a lot earlier. But there's this notion of like. Yeah, America's going to be an absolute burning pile of, of of sort of like tribalism and gang warfare by the mid nineties. Like, what what was going on I, I in the eighties? I will tell you exactly what this is. This is the LA riots, which were yes. you know early summer ninety two, and right. I remember that. Uh, I was still relatively young, but I remember that, and that was like watch white people freak the fuck out. Um, mm. I mean, it was L.A. in flames and the cops said, we're not going in. You know, the cops said, you know, we're not going to protect these people. We're not going to protect these businesses. We're going to back off. And, you know, 
I mean, this was deeply traumatic nationally, and this was covered mm. nationally. And uh, I remember in that period, I went to see uh, Malcolm X, which is still one of mm. my favorite movies ever. And I went with my family. I was relatively young. And, uh, you know, we were very and we had to drive, you know, about an hour to go see this in a, in a metropolitan area. We got out of the car and, and there were armed guards with M16s outside of the theater because there were miniature riots in, in other cities in the country, including some unrest in St. Louis. So I'm in St. Louis. We go to this theater and we're very conscious of the fact that the L.A. riots are going on and we're going to see a very black movie that was very political. And, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I, I love Spike Lee. I still do. But we were conscious of this and a little scared as white, you know, uh, you know, middle class sort of uh, rural mm. white. So we go to this movie theater. There are guards with M16s. And my mom gets out and she goes up to the guard and says, um, is it safe? And the policeman who's holding an M16 says, I don't know. Do you have a gun? <laughs> like, oh. Okay. So this was... Now, we went in and it was fine. But, you know, this was I mean, this was a deep national trauma. And the idea mm -hmm. that the cops, would, this is part of we still have these myths, right, that there are like no go areas in Europe where, yeah, there are a few like in France, you know, with the HLMs. But the yeah. idea that like, no, this area is under Sharia law and the cops don't <laughs> go in, you know, these myths about just violence out of control and. And that's in RoboCop, you know, but especially mm. RoboCop 2. But this sort of idea that we had. So, I mean, yeah, they can say that they weren't conscious of Wesley Snipes, but this is yeah. definitely post-LA riots. Yeah, it, it feels, and that was going to be my question, was when was the LA riots? Like, it, was, it was watching that Hollywood sign burn at the beginning, I was like, hmm, like, this feels incredibly sort of like, you know, mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, not to, um, I don't, I, I, again, it's, I, I don't want to politicise certain things, but like Nigel Hawthorne as as, as Raymond Cocteau, um, this old white British guy sort of as the saviour of the city, it strikes a certain chord. Um, weirdly for me, watching this, you know, not just as a, as a, as a white, an old white middle guy, but also sort of like this idea of an American city being saved by a Brit, it feels odd, and uh, you know, because there's often this sort of like um, American sort of thing of like, you know, we beat you, sort of like Britain, and you're like, oh, all right, <laughs> fine, you know, we're we're sort of over that. We've had sort of losses. We lost an empire since then. We're kind of over all that shit. Um, You're not our deepest national trauma colonies. You yeah, lost a yeah, lot of yeah. colonies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We look. You think you think you were bad? We were beaten by India by a guy not eating. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah, and and so there's this thing of like you know, and again like Nigel Hawthorne. I love Nigel Hawthorne. Like, I, he is absolute national treasure. Like I remember him from many many things, but he's always going to be Humphrey Appleby from uh, Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister to me. And he is wonderfully evil in this film. Like this is the period post, um, post Die Hard, post Alan Rickman, where you know British guy equals buddy. <laughs> um, and so like he, he but he, he, I don't know, he still feels at odds with parts of this film, but but also perfect at the same time. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I hadn't thought about this, but you know, the the um, I don't know that it's significant that he's English as much as he's European, and so mm. like especially from I mean, America has a massive superiority inferiority complex toward Europe, right? And and much of Europe has a similar you know inferiority mm-hmm. superiority complex toward America, and. You know, so for us, Europe is both the origin of civilization and, you know, <laughs> I can speak French and I can read and, you know, we know the London streets and Shakespeare and all of this. And, um, and, and but the reverse is also like, you know, we're the Wild West, we're the cowboys and you can't trust Europe to man up and save civilization. You know, you need mm. that yank, you know, Stallone. We're still in touch with our animal roots in a in a way that somehow benefits society. Goes the myth, right? Yeah. Well, and Stallone's John Spartan. Let's be clear. He's called Spartan for a reason, right? They are not hiding. This is a satire. They are not hiding anything. And a guy called Simon Phoenix. Like they even make a joke of like the phoenix has risen from the ashes. I'm like, was he named just so you could have that line of dialogue? Um. But Stallone's character in this, well, John Spartan. Cocteau, right? I, that's got to be one of my favorite yeah. directors, right? I mean, playwrights. Yeah, yes, exactly. So there's all kinds of names. I was looking for, like, well, Huxley, again, like, you know, Leon Huxley is sort of, um, there's names throughout this. I'm like, oh, okay, sort of, they're trying to get into different things. But um, um, Stallone's character in this, John Spartan, is the epitome of all of that thing like throughout this like he is that sort of like you know he is the sort of the rough ready rogue cop he is clear you know he's dirty harry he's you know or he has been he was he was you know uh cobretti he was you know um he's all that that's gone before you know all those all those sort of like rogue cops martin riggs whoever you know whoever you want to sort of say he is that amplified um uh, you know, and he's happy to do it. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like there's there's a great scene uh, in this when when um, Sandra Bullock's character uh, is looking back at the data files of of John Spartan doing things, and he do, he's he's demolished a shopping mall, a nine million dollar shopping mall to save a little girl, and he's walking out. And I love the fact they've given Stallone like a wig to make him look more like he's you know with the, the mullet of the eighties, and she you know the um. The, the the journalist or whatever the reporter says like how do you feel about demolishing this, this thing you know to save this young girl the girl's like fuck you lady he's like well said and it's this thing of like yeah you can't I can imagine that film like I can see that film's laid out like you know before demolition man there was this other film where he's taken on this gang of of drug dealers and this girl's sort of been taken hostage and he has to sort of like that 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 film plays out from that one clip mm-hmm. um. And that he is, is one that. of the most satirical moments. And the key thing for me is that the reporter says, how do you feel about demolishing a $9 million mall <laughs> to prevent a $35,000 ransom? Which mm-hmm. is like, uh, today we think like, ah, fuck it, just pay the ransom. You know, like, yeah. it makes more sense. And and today we say, like, cops shouldn't even engage in high-speed chases because they keep killing pedestrians. Yeah. Like, you know, unless it's to stop a murderer you don't chase somebody who, with the traffic thing. But yeah, I know what you mean. That that scene is key. Yeah, and it, it, but then when he is defrosted, like they keep confronting him. Like again, they keep. But he is. This is what it's a satire. Like they keep wanting to sort of prod this idea that. And Stallone has done this again and again. 
and I think Stallone's not daft. Stallone is, isn't stupid, but like this character in this, John Spartan, is the same as Barney Ross from The Expendables. You know, his 2010 when they came up that was like oh i can still hang with the best of them as an action hero now i, I love the expendables films unabashedly like they are stupid action films but it's still even in that that of like the old ways are the best ways you know we're all going to go i'm going to get together all these aging action stars and we're all going to go in and blow shit up um and I, I like it when that woman confronts him in the meal and says what if i was to tell you you're sort of you know a a, a some a relic of a past, a bygone era, long for, long and gratefully forgotten. And he's like, uh, "Thank you." You know, like it's 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 clear that they're sort of like you know they're all in on the joke. But again, like, I don't think the the satire is is overshadowed by the action movie tropes. Like they become a, they almost become, um, they, I don't know, like a, a victim of the things they're trying to satirize, which I suppose is 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 a, is a, is a a pitfall of bit doing satire isn't it like you know you become the thing that you are trying to satirize and that's what i think this film does um towards the end it becomes the finale of this film completely becomes an action film mm-hmm. the satire goes out the window and it becomes just an action film um fun one nonetheless but what, i mean what do you think what, what do you think can we point out that the in the finale he where he destroys the cryogenic thing he has now murdered all of the people who were in cryogenic stasis. Now, granted, yeah. they were criminals, supposedly, uh, although I don't know what, you know, I mean, he, here's another problem. What version of reality do you live in in which you find 30 bodies and the idea is that Wesley Snipes has, has murdered them prior to <laughs> Stallone coming in and, and catching mm-hmm. Wesley Snipes? But they so they find these thirty bodies burned up, and it's the the people from the hijacking. Now, I mean, again, Wesley Snipes parody of the you know uh, super criminal from the sort yeah. of tough on crime days. What kind of person is like, yeah, I'll kidnap people and just murder them to help frame my cop enemy? It's so ridiculous. But what sort of reality feels... do you live in it's... in which you that cop gets sentenced? Like, there's no evidence that these people were alive and that the explosion killed them. Even if the explosion killed them, it was in the line of duty. You know, cops murder people on the streets of this country and they don't get sentenced. What You know, here they're just like, yeah, sorry, John Spartan, you got to go, you know, into stasis. So, I mean, go ahead. Judge Dredd has a better framing mechanism than this <laughs> film. And I hate that film. Mm. But, um no, yeah, I agree. Like they, 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 they has that line, didn't they? And they try to make it clear that it's almost like he, uh, John Spartan, is um, sentenced by his own reputation. That's supposed to be again the jibe, like because he says like uh, the, the what the line that Phoenix says is, um, you know, because when they find the bodies, and Stallone's like, no, they can't have been killed. You know, they weren't. There was I did a thermo check. There was only eight of them in there. Da da da. And that's what Simon Vince is like, you know, that's what you think. You know, that's what he's telling you. He, you know, I told him they were here. He didn't care. Um, he brought that thing down on them. All he wanted to do was take me down. Like, and almost like it's his reputation for being the demolition man and wanting to take out the criminal that almost convicts him. Because I can imagine there's that thing of like, in the court of popular opinion, the police must, you know, there may be a scenario where the police are like, they probably wouldn't arrest him and charge him, but it'd be he would be dismissed from the force of like, look, dude, you 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 we now can't justify your actions. Thirty people are dead, 
and to the best of our knowledge, you may have been involved in the events that led to their death. But this is where the satire falls apart, because Mm -hmm. we're still left with the idea of him as Dirty Harry, as the good cop who caught this mass murdering scumbag, you know, who is just an over the top sort of, you know, super criminal. Right. He really is a super criminal for it to be a satire. He would have to be responsible for those 30 deaths. Yeah. This is the problem, isn't it? This is the the. and this is where I think Stallone was 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 involved. I think you know, this almost is is almost touching on the Frank Miller. We keep referring to Robocop, mm-hmm. right? And I think there is a version of this where John Spartan is exactly that, mm-hmm. where the events portrayed by Simon Phoenix are exactly what happened. You know that thing of like the passengers are going to have to be a casualty because if I don't take you down, there'll be thirty more and thirty more and thirty more. I'm willing to sacrifice that thirty to take you down to save the future, kind of thing. Request that, denied. Exactly the judge. Exactly the judge dread moment. Exactly, and I think Stallone is terrified of that because he doesn't want to be seen as the villain. He wants to be seen as the hero in this, but despite the fact that throughout it, like. Not you say John Spartan's not a good guy, <laughs> um, you know. Um, but you need John Spartan to be worse for the satire. This this film could be a really good satirical film if they had John Spartan played as a real, like you said, like real red meat eating sort of like proper Dirty Harry kind of character. Because Dirty Harry probably would. Like, I don't know about Dirty Harry, but like, there is that idea of, um going that far the willingness to sacrifice the few to save the many like you could justify that that thing of like well i'm going to sacrifice these 30 passengers to save the hundreds of people you could kill in the future it's the it's the joker argument isn't it why does why does batman never kill them let me kill the joker well, he should yeah but, but in that's this, one like individual say, you know it's not like we're going to take the joker out with a uh, drone strike while he's in a shopping mall yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, you're right. I, and that's the thing I sort of watched it this time. I realized I was like, no, is this from a satire? It's a weak satire because it also wants you to to uh, ch- cheer for the person that they're trying to satirize. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and that, yes. But I mean, isn't that the problem with all of these movies? Right. It, mm-hmm. It's the problem with every superhero movie where the superheroes are just douchebags who make society works right i mean iron man is a, is a horrible person who should be thrown in prison and have his technology taken by the government without a doubt um same thing's true with batman for god's sake uh in almost every version um so you know i mean john spartan is he's off the chain he yeah. is he is the problem but the problem with these films is that we are so hardwired to like the protagonist anyway. Yes. And especially when, you know, you know, music is so important in films. Music tells you how to feel. Yeah. When you have action music and you have any sort of heroic music and you see that protagonist, it erases in your mind the fact that, oh, yeah, he was flying drunk. Oh, yeah, he, he you know. He is content to, he says, oh, you've got an electric baton. I'll just test it on this civilian. <laughs> I mean, he's, yeah. a, he's a horrible person. But we are so hardwired already because of the way narrative works and, and especially in cinema, how 
shots are composed cinematographically, how that music works to sympathize with that protagonist. And then you layer on that your theory about Stallone not wanting it. And, and it's not just Stallone. You could easily see corporate types saying, hold on a minute. You know, this is an unlo- yeah. it's a, our whole idea that a protagonist has to be likable is part of the problem. Um, well, one of the things I would say is, because um, I, I, I thought about this again, as I often do, and I will get to eventually, there's a version of this film that I really would like. But the thing that sprung to mind, you say this, and as you're saying it, one of the things that springs to mind is um, actors have done this. Like there has been this thing of action stars not wanting to look weak. Stallone did it in, in, in Judge Dredd. You know, he wanted to change the Danny Cannon, wanted to make it darker and more violent and wanted Dredd to be seen as the thing, you know, the, this because this film should be a Judge Dredd's like, level satire. Um, and then, you know, so Stallone sort of stuck up for it then. Um, but also, I think of more recently, um, Vin Diesel and The Rock had a sort of a, literally had an on screen punch counter that neither one could land one more punch than the other. Or to be seen to be, this is totally true. One of the reasons they had a falling out, neither could look like they are losing to the other, and so they had to have a punch counter uh, to make sure that they each landed the same number of punches during fights and all that kind of stuff. And that level of machismo just makes that, that in itself is a satire of what how ridiculous this thing has got. Well, the people, and I think of Bruce Willis in the later Die Hard movies, where he exactly, would say yeah. that's not a John McCain way of doing this. Yeah, yeah. it is actually. He's a guy. Yeah. Yeah, the thing to remember, John, John, John McClane's a really good example of what what tried to deflate this. In the first film, like John McClane's a guy who is almost taken out by glass on the floor. And by the and I've said it before, and by the fourth film, the dude is sort of riding on the wing of a fighter jet and and driving taxis into helicopters. And you know, it's 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 ridiculous. He's up there as the super action star yet again. The person I will the more modern stars have been willing to hold the line. On this, at least with like the Matrix, they gave it a justification. Like we are going to do super heroics in an action movie, but we're going to tell you it's within a computer game, or it's going to be within a computer reality, so you can do these things. Fine. But then you look at like someone I'll hold up is Carl Urban. Mm-hmm. So Carl Urban, who played Dread the second time in the 2012 Dread, was more than happy for his Dread to be, you know, to be seen as 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 the dredge supposed to be is not a great guy as, as a sort of like frustrated and repressed sort of mount of anger um, and never removed his helmet and did all this other stuff. Fair play to him. He also plays Billy Butcher in the boys. Mm-hmm. And I think the boys is a good example of this. Like the boys is great. I really enjoy it. It has its flaws. It's not perfect, but at least it says, yeah, do you know what? The soups are vile. And do you know what? The people out to get them, they're just as bad. <laughs> Like, no one's a winner in this. Like, there's no one portrayed in that film as a good guy. Like, Billy Butcher's Carl Urban's like... And he's even said it in interviews. Like, no, no Billy Butcher is, an, is is vile. Like, he's an yeah. absolute arsehole. Um, and he's willing to sacrifice people to do what he wants to do because he's on this mission. And I, I respect that when they're going to do that. But that's what this film could and should have done and doesn't and i think that's where like the point you make that is really really good about this rousing music there's a moment at the end of this film where they find that bloody car the the um the muscle car yeah um and we're going to get to about why why um sandra bullock knows about the car but not about kick my ass different thing. <laughs> um 
So he, and, when and he jumps why the that, car has is somehow on a lift that flips up into a car dealership. Yeah, and it's fully fueled and uh-huh. works. Uh, anyway, um, but when he does that and he says like send a maniac to catch a maniac and he puts on his beret and the music starts, that's the moment where they're like, oh, the satire is over. We're now just going to have an action finale. Uh, it totally just gives up at that point and sort of says, oh, we're going to just go and do, you know, super super sci-fi action finale. Um, but yeah, you're right. This film, this film could have been, it should have been more. And I think that's the sort of the problem with it is it falls into those action tropes. Um, and every time it tries to say something or has something to say, it's never really got the spirit of its convictions because this film should be meaner is the only way I can put it. It should be a bit more yeah. mean spirited. Well, I, I would also give a shout out to Clive Owen, who not just in Shoot 'Em Up, but also in like, uh, I think it's like mm. Deception or I mean, mm. w- when he's played actiony guys, he, you know, he doesn't need his ego stroked or, you know, to yeah. have he's an actual actor. Shoot 'Em Up is fantastic. And it's a film. Oh. I'd love, yeah. So worth seeing. Yeah, yeah me too. Fun. I mean, I think it's it, I've mentioned it lots as a touchstone for yeah. me of like that sort of satire done without the sort of like robocop social satire but just the action and and i think you know i was writing action screenplays actually as a you know and i love serial killer stories um so i was writing that kind of screenplays in the you know uh 90s when i was a teenager and i look back and they were all shoot them up <laughs> they were yeah. all like guy you know over the top you know completely uh taking it you know taking it up to 11. Um, thank God that stuff didn't get made. Uh, I wasn't utterly aware that it was a satire. I knew it was over the top, but I thought, yeah, that's Dark Knight. You know, that's the yeah. stuff I'd read. Um, yeah, but I mean, here, there is this, it is easy to show contempt for uh, this sort of utopian society and for, you know, mm. its safety and the fact that, you know, it's it's sexless, right? That's always a key sign yes. of, you know, a society gone wrong you know it's like krypton you know doesn't have sex anymore they have birthing pods oh you know you know once you've got rid of the sex it's you're really off track but um still it's easy to mock this kind of stuff but there's no replacement for it right i mean there's no Mm -hmm. it's easy to make fun of this stuff i mean to me if burger king is serving like you know some sort of like it's not even sushi. It's like it, it looks weird and sort of that sort of French style of cooking of like little. But it's very it's like I, I want to explore that. What is that stuff? That looks good to me. Um, yeah, I mean, if that's what we have, that sounds really amazing. And everybody, at least there is this thing of like, why didn't you just provide food? I mean, why are yeah. these people underground hungry? There should be a super abundance of food. Uh, so there's stuff I don't understand. But it's easy to throw stones, but you're dismantling a civilization. What is what do you have to offer to replace it except, well, yeah, some people are going to get bloody when we have the riots in the streets over the remnants of civilization. But, you know, you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's so sort of uh, this film wants to show you black and white, doesn't it? It's either um, you're either in this sort of like, you know, it is utopian but like you say it's it's a sort of benevolent dystopia it's it's a this sort of perfect utopia but in doing so you have to give up all your rights 
you know, I can imagine there's people now that think they're getting the vaccine microchips, you know, that would be watching this and going, see, see, because you've got the microchip, they get the micro the tracking chip in the back of their hand. Um good, they can, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it's a fascinating they can track all vehicles, which actually you probably could do now anyway. Yeah. Um and, and there's all these different bits and pieces. And one of the ones that I thought was most interesting. Which would actually, be, it seems to be the thing now, is uh, when uh, uh, Phoenix, Simon Phoenix first gets out of uh, prison and he's, you know, he's in his little car and he pulls up and there's a guy there in like a phone booth or in sort of like a, you know, like a, he's talking to a computer and the guy sort of says like, you know, I'm really, I'm really down, I'm struggling with my job. And the computer gives him an affirmation of like, you know, you are a joy, you are a wonderful, sensitive guy who brings joy, joy feelings to all people around you. Like, you know. And all I'm thinking is, and this is clearly a stab at how sort of like, oh, look at how weak this society is. Look at how wussy they've become that they have to have affirmations. Talk yeah, the sort of culture of affirmation, right? Yeah. But I'm like, hang on. We're now in a place where people do go, well, no, there is stresses and people's mental health is important. And sometimes people do need to hear that. Actually, no, you're just a one. You know, I understand that you're you are sensitive and these stresses are real, but people respect you. And there are more people that love you than hate you. And you know, it's worth living. for. Great. Why the freak don't we have that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's the fact that, like, you know, um, just Phoenix comes up and basically pummels him in the back of the head and throws him away. Um, and it's, it's it's laid up to be a joke. And again, mm-hmm. it's that thing of maybe it hasn't dated well, but there's this sort of like strong sort of conservatism of this is a sign of weakness. Look how weak this society is that this gentleman is sort of like in you know in a public space is showing a emotion and a, a negative you know what this seems as a negative emotion. And again, I'm, I've never registered that scene really before until I watched it now and I was like, hang on, this is a bit. This is I don't know you know. No, it's arch conservative, right? Mm. And and it's also this sort of idea of society becoming more feminized, right? Which which you hear uh, sometimes. And look, I mean, I don't want to say there's truth to that because I don't like that term feminized as if, you know, I mean, I think that it takes nothing, nothing stronger than being able to cry and show emotion and and not. Uh, be a wreck about it and you know mm. and be willing to be on your shit and still be like no yeah absolutely this hurts and absolutely i'm a mess and I, we need to we desperately need to redefine masculinity to include that if, if there's any saving masculinity but i mean i i do think there's truth to uh you know some of these complaints i do think that you know sometimes i think we are so safety conscious yeah. That, uh, you know, we were talking before the show about roughhousing his kids and stuff. Yeah. And, and and I do think sometimes we are so safe, but safety conscious, we're too much. But the flip side is, you know what? Soda is really bad for you. We should at least tax it. We should move in these directions. And I'm as concerned as anybody else about potential abuses of government having microchips in us. On the other hand, mm. we love our dogs enough to microchip them. We yeah. all carry phones around that can be tracked. And we have this ridiculous system of Amber Alerts in this country where some kid, some girl, usually a, a white girl, gets kidnapped like in Florida. And then they send notices to all of the police departments in the country as if like, mm. you know, and 80% of the time plus these quote unquote kidnappings are what well, they're still kidnappings, but they're by a member of the family 
or the person has run away. They're not yeah. actual strangers. But we live in the society where we think that kidnappings are happening all the time. And people think, oh, well, Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton are part of a kid child kidnapping yeah. ring to, you know. Yeah. There's no child kidnappings going on compared to historical lovers. I mean, you're more likely to be struck by lightning probably than to have your kidnap your child kidnapped by a stranger. But we live in this culture of fear in which we're willing to distract police officers around the country with this ridiculous alert. But God forbid that kid had a microchip so yeah. we could track them. God forbid all of these missing persons, you know. Somebody goes wandering off from the old folks' home, and it's like, oh, who knows where they are? Are they under a bridge? Were they hit by a car? You know, get a call. Think of how much could be fixed by that problem. That's really what you're most—I'm not saying it can't be abused. Those opportunities are there. But really, what you're most concerned about is that. Meanwhile, mm. everybody lives in security. Her Sandra Bullock's apartment looks amazing. They have a, yeah. an apartment for for uh, Spartan ready to go that is yeah. amazing. <laughs> like I want to live in that. This is one of the things that I find most interesting that they give you glimpses of the the chronology of the events that led to 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 this uh, this utopia. And there's all, but there's also they they drop lines about why it's a bad thing. Um, and so you get this idea of um, uh, they're talking about uh, at one point Spartan asks for a cigarette mm -hmm. uh, and they say, well, no, uh, you know, you can't have a cigarette because because uh, nicotine is bad for you, therefore banned. And she and then sort of like Huxley goes through a list of things that, that are then banned. So she says, like, you know, uh, contact sports, um, alcohol, uh, caffeine. drugs, caffeine, drugs, salt um so on and so forth so it goes through all this stuff now what the the way it's portrayed though is that this has been done by dictate mm -hmm. that this has been sort of like raymond cocteau's gone well those are all bad so they're gone and i do wonder how how widespread is this and this is what the thing we'll come to in, in shortly but also when you listen to the the um the chronology of what's happened like so um Spartan goes, the events at the start of the film is 1996. Spartan goes into stasis, cryogenic stasis in 96. He, you know, at one point then, uh, when they're talking about it, Cocteau says, well, you, you didn't even see the worst of it. Yeah. Within so many years, you know, crime was rampant to the extent of, like, people could not leave their homes. The police were overwhelmed. Like, it was, it was almost untenable. We were saved by a, an earthquake, the earthquake in 2010 that flattened Los Angeles. Makes me wonder how the, the prison system survived, but fair enough. Um, yeah. But Los Angeles and, and San Francisco, I think, was leveled. And so you then get it rebuilt as a mega city, weirdly enough, um, as, as the San Angeles metropolitan area, which is now on the uh, West Coast of america and you go okay great so it's become this shining beacon of the future now i can imagine in a sort of that's between the film's set in 2032 so between 2010 and 2032 and this is one of the problems i have with this film is so this happened in a in a in a matter of 22 years they have gone from mm. flattened city <laughs> crime-ridden flattened city to utopia mm-hmm and this is one of the problems I have with this film is like they I think 2032 is too soon. Yes. This also, film should have been. My problem with that is, is 
not even I think you're right about all of that. But my problem with that is that is more so that they nobody really remembers this stuff. Yes, that uh, was one of the, yeah. You know, Sandra Bullock is a aficionado of the 20th century, which you know is kind of a cliche. Um, but okay, fine. That's I'm fine with that. I, I I think it's funny seeing like the Lethal Weapon three poster, yeah, yeah. you know, and and I, the I reference. Love the fact, I love the fact that they've chosen them. It's not even the and it's a great. I think it's meant to be a nod of all the mm-hmm. films they've chosen. It's not even a good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and and there's the you know I mean this is in the period where Arnie and and Sly were dissing each other in every movie mm-hmm. in one way or another so there's this you know a talk Schwarzenegger about presidential line yes yeah. President Schwarzenegger which by the way also sounds great you know I mean well, I'm not saying I, I would vote for him over another candidate but I love Arnie and you know his politics came good it, came good if I if I'm gonna yeah. vote for a Republican Arnold is about the yeah. one I'd go for. <laughs> Uh, well, it could have happened. It, well, it didn't happen. It couldn't have happened. But, you know, he became governor of California, yeah. you know, as close as he could get. So um, like they don't remember. It's like they don't remember anything from 20 years ago. Yes, exactly. And this is the problem I have with it. That like that earthquake didn't eradicate a whole bunch of culture. Yeah. Um, you know, mm-hmm. like these things still existed. Like you and I, uh, we are, you know, you and I are pop culture. So I mean, aficionado is probably a big word, but we are very much, you know, deep in a certain level of pop culture. Mm-hmm. And so I can quote you phrases that were used, don't really you say, but like were used in the 60s. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, 60 years ago, I could say, yeah, I know they use phrases like this, you know, like uh, there were things that we don't say now because it's or it's become something different, you know. Yeah. Um, and so we know that we're going to um, have a gay old time on this vacation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, um, even the word just groovy, you know, something yeah. like that has become it's, it's that, that's where th- I think this film needed to be a hundred years. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, 132, 136 years. They needed a century to have passed for this to have been like, oh, no, we are like third generation into. Because it's a bit like. Uh, although saying that we're 20 years so th- this year, this very recently, you know, there's been the sort of the, the memorial of uh, 9-11, the, the twin mm-hmm. towers being struck. And, you know, it's 20 years. It's it sort of, you know, we've now seen the sort of the fall of Afghanistan yet again. And these, 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 these deep sort of seeded things that people like you and I will go, that's a massive touch for you more than me, I'd say. But like for you and I, the, the, the striking of the, the twin towers is a massive cultural sort of like global event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are there are kids today, you know, alive that will be you know born past that point that will go like, yeah, we, we've been told about it in school and I've heard about it in films, you know, but I don't have it as a sort of a an emotional touchstone for me. Mm-hmm. That's fine, but then when you go, okay, well, that, if this earthquake happened in 2010, that means that this film is 22 years old. Um, 22 years past that point if it flattened an entire city people like benjamin bratt sandra yeah. bullock and all these other people would be like oh no i was a kid when that happened it's right. still especially some of the older characters chief um what's his name george earl the bob gunton character he would be like yeah no i remember that like it got bad you know, I, yeah. I was I was a Los Angeles at the time. Like I was a Californian. Like you know, it was bad. Like how is it they've all transferred so quickly? Like that, and the language has changed. You know, sort of like be well. 
Well, that's, I mean, I like the be well thing a little, although I don't know, you know, like what society is so affluent that it carves that on pedestals. I mean, that's Mm. a little weird, but, but the future language, like, you know, a murder, death, kill, a lot of it is sort of like grade D future speak, you know, (laughs) where, you know, good movies and good novels do this a lot better. Yeah. Uh, But to get to your point, yeah, you're completely right about, like, why does nobody remember this? What bothers me more is, like, nobody can imagine that somebody would have physical sex, that somebody would eat meat, you know, that somebody would do these things. And clearly, these people grew up in an era where that was still going on. Like, they yeah, were yeah. used to, they ate burgers as a kid, you know, and it's like, oh, they, but they don't say, like, oh, yeah, you know, we, we've gotten rid of it. You know, like, oh, yeah, we've evolved past that. I remember that, but, you know, it wasn't good for us, and we evolved past that. Instead, they're like, gross, people used to have sex with bodily fluids. Yeah, and that's what I mean. It's like, even, um, there's a couple of weird things about that that, that, that sort of, like, that bothers me beyond all belief, but it's the, it's the it is that passage of time. Is that really sort of bothers me? That sort of like because Raymond like, Cockrell actually says that it was the earthquake that allowed him to step in. So he stepped in. Say, say, it even happened at the start of 2010, right? So he's had 22 years to reach this point, right? Nothing happens that fast. <laughs> that change. Um, this needs to have been. And it, this is one of the problems I have with The Handmaid's Tale as well, by the way. Um, is it's, it's a great show. The books, I've, I've read the first book, and it's great, but the, the show does a very, very good job of showing how this is impacted on a wider scale as you go through the seasons. But it still says, like, oh, no, this has been less than 10 years. And I'm going, like, mm, right, well, I'm sort of struggling with that because I see how slow governments move now. Um, but it's the same yeah, in this. I mean, it's the problem of people don't seem to remember. There's like a exactly, dim memory yeah. in, in that show rather than yeah, know, like, it, no, it, I mean, we all lived in that time. Yeah, um, yeah. And, especially when it shows the flashbacks. But if you were to add a um, hundred years to this mm-hmm. and say, like, we have worked for 122 years to reach this point across all of America, don't care about the world, but all of America, we started with San Angeles, and you, that, that's where this film is. It can still be set there, but we have now turned almost all of America into this utopia. Like, this is how we're going. However, there is still this subset of, of under city dwellers that we that he wants to. That this new Cocteau could, could be third generation that we mm-hmm. that we were so we were so uh, enamoured with this Dr. Raymond Cocteau that it actually became a dynasty. Like you know, almost like a de facto, like the the um, Kore- North Korean kind of sort of like setup. Like you know, it's a benefit, but he's always going to be this pinnacle. Like, I don't care, you know, they have a government, but he's always there as like pass it on to generation to generation. Something you could do something that says like, well, you know, we've got to go back. It's gone too. It's it's it not the even fact- have to be the guy's grand grandchild. I mean, it can mm. just be. Well, I mean, here's my problem. Uh, another problem I have. How does he get this position? Even if he came yeah. up with a, you know, do you mean to tell me that there aren't elections anymore? He's called like the mayor gov or something. Yeah. Well, you know, that implies he was elected. Have you done away with elections? Is this a dictatorship? If it is, it's the most benevolent dictatorship mm. I've ever seen. 
Well, they're trying to show it as being benevolent. That's the point. This is supposed to be uh, Cocteau uh, is supposed to be this um, liberal ex- extreme sort of you know uh, I'm going to put, but it's it's and, and this comes down to the very big problems. Like you know, the, one of the things that this brought to mind to me, especially about the current situation, is about socialized medicine. Yeah. It's this idea of like, in this country we have the NHS. You know, we are very proud of the NHS, despite the fact it's an absolute roaring mess at the moment. But we're still very proud of the fact that we try, we try damn hard to keep make sure that the NHS still exists, no matter what Boris Johnson's trying to do. But we oh, will man. try and keep it going, right? However, in America, I know that you have sort of like you know privatized medicine and, and there's all these other things, and so you've got to have your insurance. And we can choose to have insurance over here. That's fine. That's the availability. Um, you know, like uh, other doctors, are, other doctors, doctors are readily available. Um, but in this film, there's this idea of being mollycoddled from cradle to grave. That's what this film is saying. Like, you know, we were going to sort of tell you what you can smoke, what you can eat, what you can do, what you can do. And it's it's that's the that's the American fear, isn't it? The American dream is achieving everything in this capitalist society. This is the American fear of having this liberal society, but you are told what you can and cannot do because it takes away your individual rights. And what I would love is, again, you have to have much more time to have this notion of, think, again, think Hitler, you know, far to the right, because they do refer to this as fascistic. But this idea no, of Hitler... It's not a fascist state. <laughs> no, but my point being sort of like, no, with Hitler, yeah. this idea, he joins the, he joins the National um, Socialist Party, he becomes leader of the National Socialist Party through after a, a couple of years. You know, he takes power, and then when he becomes chancellor, he's voted in as chancellor, and then enacts emergency um, rights to take power, and says and does say, "Well, when this national emergency is over, I shall hand power back to the people," and just doesn't. And then it becomes the Third Reich. Give me something like that, and that right. again, you need more time. Where it's like, well, it started as this. That we were in a national crisis, and he kept he stepped forward on a national stage and said, "I have a plan." Even you sort of like really, you could use the, "I have a dream," "I have a plan." Try and tap into language like that. Show this that Cocteau stepped forward, and, and the the government and everyone turned to him and said, "We don't, you do. Let's enact it, and let's try and see what we do." And gradually, over a period of certain years, like he was brought in as a consultant, then he became a minister of something or other, then he became the lead party leader. Then he became this, then he became that, and eventually it was like there's no turning back. Like, well, I mean, you know, you, you have know, to wonder so- what is the relationship between this area and the United States government, yeah. right? It's I mean, never, yeah, the Supreme Court is going to overrule a lot of these things that you're doing, right? Yeah, but that's what I'd like to see. Like, weirdly, right? And uh, it came to me when I was watching this film as like. Because this is a fine action film. Again, we're talking about an action film, right? Let's not be let's not be daft. This is yeah. an action movie, okay? We are talking about the deep political <laughs> representations of a Stallone well, vehicle. Except, but, that, you know, it's a, it's an action movie that the entire premise isn't just this cool fight between the two of yeah. them. It's that they are transposed into a liberal future where these men of action don't exist anymore. And that allows the villain to run rampant. So, I mean, it is encoded with these political messages at its heart. Yes. But again, like, I would want to see a version of this film where you could see all this. Like, again, make Cocteau, again, you know, I know I do this, 
set it further into the future. It doesn't have to be 100 years. Make it 50, 60 years, whatever. But a much bigger, a greater span of time. Make Cocteau not the, the leader of San Angeles, but make him president. You know, but he has ties to San Angeles because that was the, the epicenter of where his plan was enacted. And he wants to keep that as the, the shining beacon of what can be, you know, this wonderful future. Um, and he has this thing of if he can succeed in San Angeles, there are still holdouts across America. So if he can if he can get it to work perfectly there, then he can sell it to Florida. You know, he can sell it to Tampa or he can sell it to St. Louis or he can sell it to, you know, New Mexico, uh, you know, whatever, Silver City. You can sell it to these other places. He need, that's what this that's the plan. That's what needs to be the plot. San Angeles is about to reach a milestone where it needs to be a success for those other for those other cities to take on the plan. That mm-hmm. needs to be the key. That needs to be the reason. But there's no point other than he just you wants to the, do it. The motivation for cracking down at this yes, point exactly. on the, like, the yeah. rebels or the, yeah. he needs they're not to even be, rebels. I mean. No, but there needs to be a reason for them bringing back. Uh, Simon Phoenix. Um, More than there is. Yeah, and this would motivate that and also give you at the same time some idea of how this fits into the large world. Exactly. That would be my fix for this, is make him more senior in the in the national government, but like it's a focus on San Angeles because he needs to sell it to the rest of Congress or whoever that this is the way forwards. And so he's enacted this plan to use it as a beacon. That would be how I would do it. This is, you know, maybe that's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. And in that way, like it makes more sense then, because again, you that way, when you have the the high energy Wesley Snipes come back and do this stuff, and it has these stakes of letting someone as psychotic as as you know, <laughs> then you have you have to bring John Spartan back to to equal that out. Um, and I think that's sort of like again, John Spartan needs to be closer to. I can't even think Dread. He needs to be closer to Judge Dread. Mm. Yeah, I mean, but all, all you need to do to to get there is sort of show some of the consequences of his actions, right? Mm. So, I mean, the key thing is that, like, that footage of the shopping mall, right? Mm. Or it's like, look at the devastation left in his wake, right? I mean, all you need every time he intervenes is, I mean, you just need, like, little snippets of like some kid who's perfectly happy going to school and you know he, he's like you were mentioning socialized medicine he's got health care um you know and you see people who are content and not just made fun of for yeah. you know getting an affirmation uh whose lives are essentially destroyed uh, i mean show that guy on the ground after he's been electrocuted by john spartan to test a cattle prod basically and <laughs> you know I mean, it wouldn't take much. But th- this was actually, weirdly, the same argument we had when we discussed um, uh, season three of Westworld. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This thing of like, you've got to bring down this sort of this controlling thing. And we were going like, well, show me the people this is going to impact. Show me the people that were picked out of poverty. Show me the people that have really benefited from this. You know, um, the one person that I think is is not utilized and should be utilized to do this is Zachary Lamb. Is the character, the old guy um, who's the pilot at the start of the film who drops him on top of the building when he takes on Simon Phoenix. And then, like, you know, is of the aged up. Well, it's a different actor. I know, but like he's a different, he's not an older guy when he meets him and he's sort of like, he's like Zachary Lamb, you know, you, you son of a bitch kind of thing. Like 
he's the one that should be saying like, yeah, after you left, mm. like it was it was because he comes he's like you know he's he's the one like he's the one that says like oh yeah they didn't come as you sort of said before like he's the one who um gives this vision of of, of simon phoenix simon phoenix like you know he's the worst of the worst never got better than that and he also gives him a bit of an exposition about john spartan but he should be the one there should be like a, a a scene of them two talking like you know that's the person who should be given the exposition like no i was there like mm-hmm. I, I saw how dark it went. Like I, there's a reason I'm still in the force. Like, you know. Yeah, I mean, he needs to be. You know, I know they don't have alcohol, but he need you need that moment that's like, someday we'll do Star Trek too. That's sort of like that early talk over drinks between. Yes, uh, exactly. You know, between Kirk and Spock, where it's just like, okay, we've been, we we know each other. Where they're mm-hmm. just having a private conversation, and it could just be a few minutes. Um. But that would be much more efficient than what we get, which is really that he's really the mouthpiece that tells the cops, no, I remember this. Yeah, and I would love to see that scene where they do sit down, you know, and they do say, like, he's like, you know, oh, do you want to share a beer? Well, there is no beer. You know, it comes from Huxley, but it should be coming from him and going like, no, there is no beer. Um, We've got this. It's synthetic, and it tastes like crap, but it's the best we've got. Or Or it tastes like beer, but it doesn't get you drunk. Yeah, which we have now. Yeah. So, yeah, have that conversation. And then he can be like, I want to hear that moment. He's like, no, no, like, it got bad. Like, you know, you don't, you didn't, you thought it was bad then. Like, you didn't see this, this, and this. Give that justification to say, like, you know, I was there. No, I've got, I even have him say, like, there's still nights I wake up 30 years on from. You know, and I still hear the the screams from of this, or I can still picture, you know, this one event I saw of how bad it got. Yeah, I need looking that at dead to... civilians, looking at dead cops. I mean, people, yeah. kids living in fear. Yeah, yeah, you know, and even like I say, I was a helicopter pilot in 2010. I I was airlifting people out of buildings. You know, I was lifting rubble for 10 days without sleep, looking mm. for survivors. Like, you don't know how bad it got. Like, I want to hear that to sort of give me that thing of like, oh, so this is why this is better now. Well, right. But, you know, the, the second part of that is remembering those transitions. So, you know, he can be the one to say, or I mean, this movie, if it's going to take this seriously, needs somebody who says, yeah. I do know what you mean, right? Mm. You can't get a beer. You can't get a soda. You can't get a hamburger. Um, but this happened in stages. And each of these decisions, well, sure, you know, people running farms might protest. Uh, there are winners and losers. Having said that, each one of these decisions made sense and has, in fact, produced a better society on the whole. And I, having, you know, had your attitudes, I mean, I presumably uh, um, as an assistant to a tough guy cop, um, I was reluctant about these things, but I can't argue with these results. And I don't, you know, not everyone agrees with everything, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you know, you weren't around and society changed in now, maybe that's not the way it went. Maybe this was just imposed by Cocteau, but clearly people are totally fine with it. And he could be the one who says, 
yeah, look, you know, we have these information booths. You know, they help you out. We we have socialized medicine. We have all mm. these things. It is shocking at first if you come from the Wild West, if you come from, you know, this individualistic thing. And I mean, you were mentioning, um, you know, the NHS. And it wasn't until a few years ago, frankly, that the phrase cradle to grave yeah. didn't strike fear down my spine as an American. It's like, <laughs> I agree with everything you're talking about, mm -hmm. but taking care of people from cradle to grave just, you know, rankles an American gene in me. Um, but, you know, there's even stuff that's controversial in this that mm. would make sense. I mean, I absolutely am in favor of, I'm not in favor of getting rid of sex, but I'm in favor of uh, some sort of <laughs> you know, limit on reproduction or some yeah. sort of, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that essentially, eventually that has to go along with an increased social mm. safety net. But, you know, I, I mean, again, that does give the state power and like the microchips, that's an issue. But you could have that old guy say, yeah, I know exactly what you mean, but, you know, look, there are a lot of kids who aren't living out lives in poverty. Um, yes. You know, there are a lot of kids who aren't living out lives uh, of misery and abuse because of this. Well, yeah, have him say, like, you know, the, I joined the police force because I saw my brother killed in a gang shooting. You know, I had to sort of lie on the floor when the bullets were flying in my neighborhood. That doesn't. Ha I joined the police to prevent that. We've done it. Like it doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, you know that's gone. These kids can go to school now without fear of a good of a, of a school shooting. It's gone. Have these moments. You know, this film tries to be that sort of comedy satire, but like there's a moment. There's a film here that's dead serious. Like, and I, the the story arc for John Spartan needs to be. He comes in guns blazing, that sort of thing of like the old ways are the best ways. Hand me my hand me Betsy the shotgun, and off he goes. You literally live on Europeans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That thing of like you know, oh this wussy modern society. But the end of the film in all honesty, should be him going, there's no place for, for either Simon Phoenix or me mm. in this society. And for he should, reason. yeah, and yeah. he should yeah. sacrifice himself mm. to, to take out Phoenix and be like, he should not live in this film because he, he has no future in this society. Like he I should that way die too, as he conveniently escapes the cryogenic freeze. Yeah. And then you see him running, you know, to your point of like this becomes a stereotypical action movie running down the corridor in slow yeah. motion as it's exploding behind him, which is so painful to watch. Uh, and I thought it looked painful. It looked painful for Stallone to do at some point. <laughs> I think, like... But, it, you know, it doesn't um, it doesn't add anything, really. And of course, he's knocked out Sandra Bullock, who's fine. We'll get into that, I'm sure. But mm -hmm. to your point, I think that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that. This doesn't have to be just a serious movie to get into some of those issues. Think about how definitely, I mean, I'm a huge fan of, I, I really want to talk sometime about Robocop 2. Mm. I love, you know, it's not as good as Robocop 1, but I love its social criticism and how it handles some of these issues. And both of those movies do at least present some version of the OCP argument. Yeah. You know, like Detroit is in flames. 
yes, we're corrupt. Yes, we're violating the law. But, you know, look how bad things were before we got here. You know, we've given these people housing. We've given these people food. Yes, you know, they're in debt to us as a result. But your alternative is terrible. And you at least mm. get some. And there's no doubt they're the bad guys, right? There's no depiction yeah. of them as the good possible good guys at all. But even there, you get some articulation of that argument. And you just don't get it here. No. No, and it's sort of like they it's that thing of like they want to hint at it, but they don't want to discuss it. Because again, they don't want you to forget that Stallone's John Spartan is the hero. This is the white savior character coming in to and I often think of like, you know, um other scenarios of this, this character coming in from time. You know, it's always I I I I trying to think of other scenarios where I've seen this. Book Rogers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, man from the past comes in, all of a sudden becomes hero of the future, and you're like, hang on, that would never happen. Like, you know, you, you you're too antiquated. Like, you know, we recently talked about uh, the the uh, Twilight Zone episode where a cowboy is taken from 1888 to you know 1960, and how that plays out, and that seems more accurate. Where he's just like, yeah, this is crazy, and he's violent, and and you know, if it's Twilight Zone, it's not as violent as this, but. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not him coming forward being like, you know, well, you know, the West has got better ways. It's mm. no, you were a horrible person then and just as horrible now. Um, it, it, it's, it is this idea of, or you say, as the John Wayne hero. Um, this is, I mean, the thing is, this is, oh, we should highlight as well. You mentioned about this is the heyday of Stallone and, and, and Schwarzenegger. It's not at this uh, point. This is this is them past their prime. So this well, is. Well, I mean, of... I meant of their like feud where every movie oh, yeah, has yeah, got yeah. some dig. Yeah. Yeah, but it was it was more of because this point they were working on um, Planet Hollywood together with Bruce Willis mm-hmm. and so that okay. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but from an action standpoint, like you know, this 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 and Cliffhanger saved Stallone. Oh. He'd had a series of you know he had a series of flops with Stop and My Mom Would Shoot and Oscar. Master. Yeah, and so he he was coming back to the action genre to to save himself. Like this was this was his thing of back to the um, what he did well, and the same with with Arnie. Like Arnie was doing well, nineteen ninety. You know, he had um, he hit his peak with like Total Recall, Terminator Two, well, and then both of them really, you know, arguably had their peak in the eighties. With exactly you know, that's what I'm saying. Right. Like, yeah, because yeah. early nineties, you see you see mm. people coming through. Keanu Reeves, Patrick Swayze, um, eventually Nicolas Cage, like you know Jackie Chan, and and I the, just the, vomited the, you know, a little as you said the name Patrick Swayze, but yes. Well, you know, like right but I know, yeah. I mean, they mentioned Jackie Chan, and you know, in this movie, <laughs> and when you were talking about possibilities of somebody else to play uh, the villain here, I thought that had to be on their radar. Oh, I'm sure. I've got no doubt. I mean, you know, two years after this, you get Rumble in the Bronx. Um, you were getting the the muscle bound action hero was on his way out. It's no surprise that 1990, well, I think it's 92, yeah, 92 and 93 sees Last Action Hero from Arnold Schwarzenegger um, and this from Sylvester Stallone. And both of them see, feel like a satire and a parody of the character. Well, no, but the matter, like Last Action Hero is constructive in some way. 
Exactly. I mean, right. I would say Last Action Hero is a, is a massively underrated film and is mm-hmm. has aged better than some of these others. And even um, even Total Recall is a deconstruction, you know. Yes. Uh, yeah. And and so you know the, the, this thing of like the muscle bound superhero uh, action hero has gone. You know, this it's now. I wish it ev- still worked. Yeah. You know, Die Hard changed a lot of that with with Bruce mm-hmm. Willis and, and others started to come in. So it's what that's why they're able to take make fun of um the spartan character like you know rambo doesn't work in the 90s right and and that was the sort of the problem you know when was clinton um elected 92 92 and comes into office january 93 and so you start to see the change so if you, you know, this is the the last hater you start to see even schwarzenegger films later on in the 90s um he plays either you know you've got uh well firstly jingle all the way which you'll we'll never cover but you know worth mentioning um but some of his action for sci-fi action sixth day and he plays a family man you know mm. and um the night the early 90s was the end yeah uh, yeah, yeah you're right and, and so it's sort of it's interesting that they were willing to do the satire to poke fun at themselves and i think arnie was more successful but even true lies yeah. oh yeah you know, True Lies again is, is is Cameron poking fun at the spy genre and in the, in these action hero types, Absolutely. Uh, and so yeah, it, you know it's it's this just does this could have been an absolute stone cold classic if it had really bitten into that satire. Yeah, and leaned into that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I want to I want to move past the political points, but I mean, I I do want to say, I mean, you were talking about how. You know, this this idea of sort of like the Clint Eastwood comes in and saves them and, you know, this sort of stereotype that is in this and other movies. Um, you know, think about how destructive this is as a narrative. And I know, you know, I mean, it's hardwired into the action genre, arguably so much so that even when you're doing a deconstruction, it still plays out. Um, you know, so. We, you know, we we have the idea over here that like, you know, I mean, obviously in the fight between society and the individual, the West tends toward the individual, America mm-hmm. more so. Um, it's clear, especially if it wasn't before during COVID, how yeah. <laughs> wrong this needle is. Right. Yes. If your individual rights result in hundreds of thousands of needless deaths. You have massively miscalibrated where this needle <laughs> needs to be. Um, and, you know, but then we have the myth of like the, you know, we need police to be more aggressive. And, yeah. you know, we just Donald Trump saying, you know, if you're putting the suspect in the car, you know, just hit their head on the car, you know, hit their head on the car. Uh, that's good. You know, as if like, what is that going to achieve? And then they get, no, no mass murderers watching that going, oh, shit, man, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. I better cut this shit yeah. out. Um, <laughs> and then the same idea of like that we still talk about people said this about Vietnam. People talk about this about Iraq, Afghanistan, you know, like, well, we fought those wars with two hands cuffed behind our backs because of those, you know, lily livered liberal politicians, you know, and what we needed to do was basically unleash the troops and let them commit a little more war crimes as if (laughs) the enemy ever said, you know, golly gee, now that I've witnessed those war crimes, I, you know, I can't possibly oppose the devilish United States. Mm. Um, 
we did commit war crimes in all of those fields. And, you know, uh, resistance movements are fueled by them. They don't back down from them. Um, and it, But in the same way, socially, you were talking about, you know, these advancements. And I think, you know, we have this idea of, like, this is a line to cross. We're already being tracked by our yeah. cell phones. We're on Facebook. Every, you know, our likes and dislikes. We have psychometric profiles of all of us mm -hmm. sitting on computers, you know, in massive server centers. Yeah. But, you know, knowing who's vaccinated and who isn't, that's too far. Or, yeah. you know, having socialized medicine, that's when individual freedom dies. Um, or if you can't buy a soda for a dollar or less, America dies. I, I don't understand any of this. Um, but again, it's this these narratives that were sold, these myths, these national myths. Um, I, I can, you know, for my country are both our salvation because we like to think that we are invulnerable to uh, fascist and totalitarian takeover. And often that has been what saves us, that mm. it is frankly unthinkable that certain things would happen. And in fact, the only thing keeping it from happening are a few people who say it's unthinkable. I'm not going to yeah. go along with that. And, but also our national disgrace because yeah. we think that cowboy is going to be the national savior as opposed to having an NHS or, or, or just deciding a war's lost. Yeah. And, and, and back out. Um, yeah. Well, let's move on from the, the politics. You're right. Cause there's other things to talk about, but what was the first thing beyond politics you wanted to, to mention around this film? Well, it's not free of politics, but what? Let's talk about gender. Let's talk yes. about Sandra Bullock. Yeah. Um, Sandra, I like Sandra Bullock as an actress. I always have. I think you know. Um, I first um, weirdly met her in an interaction film in uh, Speed, and yes. you know, I think she's she's gone on to a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, in this though, this this uh, the, the, the character of yeah, Lenina Huxley. It's a little bit all over the place. Um, Explain. It, and again, it comes back to this thing of not wanting to sort of, you know, be the spirit of their convictions, not holding to the convictions they have. She's an aficionado of the 20th century. She's clocked all this contraband and they highlight repeatedly that this is contraband. Uh, there's a, you know, they actually say like, you know, at one point, uh, Benjamin Bratt says, like, is there nothing in this office that's in contravent, you know, contravenes Article 139 or whatever? And she's like, only you. And it's like, well, right. So there's a little leeway in this because a boss can't should be like, what the fuck have you got in your office? Yeah. Why, why have you got a Lethal Weapon 3 poster on your wall at work? Yeah, you know, that's fine at home. This feels a little uncomfortable at work. Like, I don't get to do that at, at work. Um, but that you know, there's you that should. part of it. You yeah, should bring should. in a Lethal Weapon three poster and just see what they say. When I'm, when, I tell you, I'm, I'm, you, I'm going to do that. When go I go back in, physically. that's it. When I go back into the office, I'm just going to have a hang a picture of Mel Gibson on the on my office and see what people yeah. start saying. <laughs> not in 2021, right? You know, oh, oh, yeah, definitely, and not even young Mel Gibson, like old Mel Gibson, oh, just God. say like you know, yeah. Um. Uh, anyway, um, will it have the anti-Jewish quotes underneath? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna superimpose his face to make him look like old man Jesus. That's what really get people riled up. Um, See, that might get me riled up. Yeah. <laughs> no. I'm talking about just random pop culture. I think might be. Um, but no, like she has all this right. contraband. 
yeah, but she and she has it in in the in the uh, in the home and I'm fine all that. It looks cool. There's some great stuff in there. So whoever did the set design on this is phenomenal. And we will talk about the sets and some of the stuff as well. It's great. She knows all this stuff. Like she's watched, you know. But you're not allowed. I don't know if you're allowed to watch action movies or violent film because violence has been banned and sort of stuff. So I don't know if she's actually got access to. I'm sure she has. Like it's a secret, like you know, much like in the day of of um, the you know banned horror films of the 80s and stuff that sort of thing i'm pretty people had them under the counter i'm pretty sure she's got some she's obviously seen lethal weapon or whatever the moment Um, the taliban left any town in afghanistan the first thing to open was the porno video shop yeah all those tapes didn't appear magically overnight they weren't imported (laughs) so if that's the case under the taliban pretty sure you know los angeles has she she's got a couple of those films kicking around. She's got a Chuck Norris film or two, um, but she's so she's supposed to have all this knowledge. You're later seeing that she's she has some level of sort of fighting prowess from having seen Jackie Chan films, and she looks she she I know it's silly, I know it's daft, but she handles herself like she's a cop. She's still a police officer, so she must have some form of self defense training, even to handle the slightest of things. Um, yet she is used as both. A female uh, protagonist with agency and the damsel in distress in the same sections. And it becomes so sort of like, you know, I mean, she's never really supposed. Well, she becomes a love interest and she's a damsel in distress and she's this. It's like pick a bloody lane. Just pick up. Give this character an arc. Give her a lane. Let her have it. You know, it, it just feels messy for her character. She's great. She's got great energy, and I enjoy her in this. But it, it, she's inconsistent. Well, that's even a plot. I think I thought that was where you're going, and I agree with you. I, I think that's even uh, true of her nostalgic interest. That mm-hmm. two repeated gags that work for me are the her getting expressions wrong. Yeah, um, which you know th- they're not belly laughs but it's charming um and then the second one is the cursing response but both of those now i don't buy that a future Mm. is going to prohibit cursing i certainly want to burn down any future that does having fucking said that i you know did find that charming and and that repeated gag but that's even true you know if she's such a nostalgia buff how does she not get those expressions right let alone as you point out it hasn't been that many years. Yeah. No, that, and that's true, isn't it? Like you say, uh, the, 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 her energy, she's got good comedy timing. Like she's just a good comedy presence in this film. Like, you know, and yeah, there's some great moments when she does swear and she pulls the the, t- the ticket for him. She's like, I've got that for you. So sort of it, it, it works well. They, they work well as a duo in some of those parts. But again, like, you know, she doesn't seem to learn anything in this film. Like yeah. she, her, her arc is, I was right all along. <laughs> well, um, yeah, my interest in the 80s, right? You know, like my nostalgic interest. She's still horrified by aspects of, mm. uh, you know, by sex and all of this. But yeah, that nostalgic interest paid off, you know, you know, sort of. But yeah, you're right. There's no real arc. She's sort of like resisting the police from the inside a little, but then not willing to go as far as he is and still horrified yeah. by it. And I find that middle position, if they had much like the the uh, cop who um, Sly remembers, if they had 
elucidated that kind of middle position more instead mm -hmm. of just using her for comic relief, making her one way or the other, she could have been a more interesting character and actually fleshed out that that future more. Well, I'd want it to be a conflict. Like at one point towards the end of the film, she shoots someone. Yeah. Um, and there's a great moment. It's, it's quite an interesting moment. She's like, I've taken someone's life. And she struggles with it for all of three minutes. And then and Stallone's <laughs> wow. like... 30 yeah. seconds. Yeah. And it's it's that should be a much bigger moment. If anything, like, again, if you want to take her out of the end of this film, and I, I agree because it should, it needs to be the sort of the, the nemesis fighting. That's fine. I'm happy with that. That's the trope. That's the way it should be set up. It's the way the narrative works. Have it be that she is all for John Spartan. And also her, her nostalgia knowledge should play a part and help the plot. It bloody doesn't. And it irritates me that like her knowledge of something should save someone or in you know progress the plot like she should help to diffuse something by knowing something from the past and it never comes up um yeah sort of shooting that guy is more there to give her something to do right yeah she doesn't really have much of a role in the plot that's just there to like you've seen him kick ass you know we're feminist enough to know she's not useless well, yeah, I would want her plot to be, again, like, she, she's all guns blazing. She's all for this action hero type. And when it comes into, I want it to be by the end of this film, she, I, I think, take her to the same point where she, she you know, she's um, nostalgic and she sort of admires John Spartan. She looks up to him. And then as the film progresses and she sees him more and more involved in this dirty, gritty fighting and the violence and the killing and what 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 Simon Phoenix really is, I want her to be like, no, this is terrifying. Yeah. Like, um, you know what I mean? Like, no, this is yeah. like this is why we were where we were. Like this mm. isn't the this. And I would like to have a, a moment where she's like, oh, this isn't like the movies I saw. Like, this That's isn't really rather brilliant because what you're what you're arguing is that she couldn't just she doesn't she could be more than just that sort of like middle ground figure that we're missing, mm. but that she could really be um, his advocate. the point of the satire. Right. Yeah. Because essentially she is the audience identification figure. She's the one who remembers the early days um, you know, we're supposed to sympathize with her. She's suffering under the police. And if your point in this film is to be a satire, having her then go from the audience position of like, I came here to see Sly Stallone kick some ass, you know, yeah. to have her migrate from that point to what you're describing and understand, you know, I'm still attracted to you. There are good things about this, but this is a horror show from start to finish. Yeah. Um, and, and she could give voice to a lot of those satirical intents. And maybe the audience would listen because she had been that audience identification figure. And you took them on that ride. She needs. Yeah, she needs to take the audience. Through. Her arc should be at the end of this film. Shouldn't be. There are two moments, I would say. The moment where he sort of says, I'm not doing this headset sex thing, you know, give, take away the VR. And he comes on to her. Find the whole non-sex thing. Right. Don't be. Ooh, it's disgusting. But there should be a moment of like, look, we know this led to epidemics of AIDS. And she refers to two of the sexual transmitted diseases like made up initially. NPR and CIA. 
Yeah, whatever, whatever <laughs> they're they acronyms. Yeah. But she's comes up with these, these acronyms and these initialisms, and it's sort of like, okay, there's a reason for your fear. Like she's not she's not disgusted by sex; she's scared of it. Mm-hmm. Oh no, we've been taught that sex is like physical sex. The trans- fluid transfer is actually can lead to my death. Like I I know I'm not. My education, this again, if you had more time, that indoctrination, that education, I'm scared of it. I'm proper scared of it. That's why we have this new system. And so when he comes on to her as well, in that rapey, rapey way that he does, she could be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, you know, this is a massive invasion and you're threatening my life just because you've got a boner. Like, that's not good. Like, she needs to start sort of seeing that the shine comes off him as a character. And he needs that's when he needs to start realizing, yeah, I don't fit in here. This world's better off without me. You know, like I, you know, uh, Zachary, um, Zach Lamb was able to adapt because he's lived through it. I can't do that. I need to, you know, but I'm and I'm not gonna get my sort of sailing off into the sunset moment. This has got to come to the end. Her, her ending should be shooting that guy and then her saying, mm. I, I can't do this. I'm done. I'm done. I've got to, I, I've got to walk away. And then her literally saying, like, you know, I know you've got to do this. You've still got to, to stop Simon Phoenix. But I can't do this anymore. And be traumatized by it and, and not be like, right, I'm ready to go. Gong ho. Woo. It should be like her. I would love that to be her art, that that's the end of her life. She literally walks away. I can't do this anymore. And, well, and that'd think- be it. I mean, I think this point is brilliant that she could have that, but that she doesn't have an arc, that she could have this arc, and I think that she could be the the voice of that satire, satirical mm-hmm. intent, and you could still keep a lot of the punchy-punchy uh, mm. if, if you had that voice. So two things that I really like about her and, two, and three things that I don't. Um, I like, you said Stallone comes off as rapey-rapey. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I like that he leaves. Like yeah. he's like, oh, the, this this chick's crazy, right? But he leaves, and once that's clear, once she's like, get out, and she's overly melodramatic. I, I get the sense that it's like she's watched too many '80s movies, and she's yeah, like, stamping get out, the, and voice stamping the, the foot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's there's something about it that seems artificial, but he takes no for an answer and leaves, and you just see him like, oh, crazy, you know, like dejected. But he knows how to take no for an answer, and that is clearly tied to his masculinity and his ability to do that. Mm. So I did like that part of it, at least the way it concludes. And I like the kiss at the end. I think the kiss at the end works in the fact that she kisses him back. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, this is what kissing is. I mean, we've seen this in other sci-fi, but, um, you know, sort of Fifth Element and stuff like that. But. Uh, that worked for me. I thought it shouldn't work as well as it does, but it, that worked for me. Uh, a few things I didn't like. I don't like that she just joins this rebellion that quickly. You know, yeah. that it's like she looks at her commanding officer and says, nah, I'm going with Spartan, who's clearly like her orders are to take him back to the cryogenic facility. That should have been a much bigger deal. Yes. Uh, I, I, I forgot the third one, but another one is that is that killing moment where it's like the point seems to be you need to get over this. Spartan's mm-hmm. like, look, yeah, it's almost like he doesn't quite say it, but it, it's almost like 
you know, the first kill is the hardest, baby. <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> like, totally, it's totally that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But the truth is, like, soldiers come back from war, and, and you know, they they kill somebody who, you know, a lot of times it's not as clear cut. It's somebody at a checkpoint or whatever, mm-hmm. and but you know, uh, but even when you killed uh, a enemy soldier in World War One and World War Two. Those those guys came home and were still traumatized yeah. by that experience. Yeah, and I think that's the point. Like you know, again, this is what I'm saying. Like she doesn't have a, a, a you know a, a, a strong narrative place. Like she's just there to be the comedy sidekick at times, or she'll help do this, but she never really does anything. Um, and and I, and I find that sort of like grates a little bit on me at times. Um. But, but again, she 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 carries it because of her charm. Like she plays that bubbly sort of like you know, wanting for the action. She wants to have more action in her life, but she still has this bubbly charm. Like she's very good at that, and I think she's a great presence in the film. Um, but I, I there are things like in the satire that I really like that she does bring to life. Her and and Benjamin Bratt actually, the yeah. fact they've got an oldie station that is advert tunes is is wonderful, and the fact that those advert tunes are also played at Taco Bell when they go for the meal. There's a guy on a piano exactly. dressed up. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's doing the Jolly Green Giant. Yeah, sort the of, Green like, Giant. You know. Right. As a, as, a, as a fancy piano. Yeah, yeah. That stuff is good. And that's where I'm like, that's where like the satire is. Obviously, like, you know, Taco Bell won the restaurant wars and is now sort of like it's all on. restaurants are Taco Bell. Um, all that hey. stuff's really good. Get, all, get the American franchises right. It's Pizza Hut. I have to be proud of something that we exported <laughs> to the world. Well, it's it's interesting, like you say, that, that I love the fact that, like you know, I, it's there's little bits of that satire there that really were, like you say, the Taco Bell. And like Stallone's like, oh yeah, I could really go for a a taco right now. And they're like, oh, it's not okay, not it's quite that pizza. It's pizza. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, pizza. I could really go for pizza. Yeah, there's a lot of product placement. I mean, there's Pepsi mm. signs. All it's like the 1980s yeah, yeah. had no Coca Cola. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, so these little bits of satire in it are really good, and they pay off. Like they keep, they do, they keep layering them in. You know, I like that the idea of sort of like even the three seashells is it's never been explained to this day. I googled it. Like there's theories about how it works, yeah, but it's, it was just a joke. Whether like, yeah, what what would be the weirdest thing? You know. Oh, he's not going to use the three cells. He's going to go shit in a bucket and use some uh, and use some sort of uh, those violation tickets as, as toilet paper. Like it's, it's some of the stuff I, like I that. I do think the three seashells things works, and you don't see it until the end. You know, yeah. close to the end. Um, I do think that works. Although I found myself wondering, like, when he comes out and talks about it in a full policeman's uniform, like it's like, okay, I've been revived. You know what? I've got to go to the bathroom. Somehow he changes it to a uniform. And I found myself thinking, like, wait, you mean that entire scene where you're talking about what you're going to do and how to use a John? You've got shit in your pants? Like, you, yeah. you know, like, you have, you, people would be like, oh, you know, dude. No, he's holding it in. Like, he's clenching. He's like, I've really got to go. Like, I'm well, walking the, funny right now. Usually um, when people say, like, you're out of toilet paper, it's after they've taken the shit, right? Yeah. yeah. So he's, he's taking he was, the shit. Right, he's planning. He's planning. He's gone no. in and looked for it and gone. Like, I don't know what this is. I can't accept that John Spartan's going around with shitty pants. Um, I totally yeah, believe it, in that entire scene. <laughs> he's got you know what he did not wipe in his pants yeah. underneath the dress uniform. 
maybe i don't know that's no. not that makes that whole scene very different <laughs> that's my interpretation that's my reading i i want the fan fiction mm. yeah i want that yeah there's a guy stood out that to- outside that toilet looking horrified um and, I am and this John is... Barton shit, Colin. A yeah. <laughs> careful reinterpretation of demolition man. Um, and, uh, just just to highlight as well something again, because the more I talk about, it, the more I realise that this film is a precursor to his Judge Dread. Like the plot's almost identical in many many ways, in s- s- ridiculous ways. It also they also both contain Rob Schneider. Can't oh, stand him. Can't stand yes. him in either film or any film for that matter. Yes. Um. But yeah, no, so, so we, we talk about the gender. So there's obviously the gender politics in this film. Like again, Stallone, although we've said about what her arc should be, his approach is firstly he's, he he tries to come on to her. Yeah, he walks away. The two of the things that are, to me that stick out as being sort of like weird gender things are the, the fact he knocks her out at the end for her safety. Yes. Um, and I understand why, from a narrative point of view, it's got to be mano a mano, you know, kind of thing. But also the fact that when he's revived, he can knit and sew and do all this other stuff. And he's been made a seamstress. And there's a there's a real sort of note of you said about the feminization and mm. this idea. And it's 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 a real sort of thing of like, you know, oh, I can knit. I can and what this is and all that is like, you know, I'm a seamstress. Which is not the proper word, right? You have the skill to sew. It's like I learned how to act. You mean I'm an actress? No, yeah. that's not how these word, words work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, but, but yeah, I think they're trying to hammer home a point. Again, it's that thing of yeah. the dialogue in this is a bit clunky at times. Um, but again, it's that feminization, isn't it? Of things of like, well, women knit. Yeah. And it's supposed to be the, the complete, uh, you know, uh, antithesis of what Simon Phoenix has had with his, you know, they list out, like, you know, all this list of amazing things that he's been given and, and Stallone's been given knitting and, and sewing. But there's still a part of me that's like, and it doesn't yeah. counter all the skills that you had before. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's hey, free skills. Uh, how does this make you less? Yeah, it's a it's a bizarre point. Like he literally knits her a jumper overnight as an apology, which I think is another nice point. Like he actually apologizes for doing what he did um, when he tries to come on to her, um, and he knits her a nice jumper. And it's like, well, to be fair, mate, that's not a bad skill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This doesn't have to be, I mean, this doesn't have to be your life, but no. it's not a negative. It, it yeah. is tied to another weird thing. Yeah, that, that sort of like knocking her out and is was the third thing about her that Sandra Bullock mm. that I, it doesn't make sense to me. Specifically, why she says like at the end, oh, I totally understood why you did it. And I was like, uh-uh, you're a cop. <laughs> yeah. It's a complete disrespect that it should be. She should be pissed. Mm-hmm. Of like, I could. I was your. We're partners. I was your backup. Like, you know, we should have taken him out together. None of this macho bullshit that you've tried to get past, and now you're telling me it's still a thing. Like, it's yeah. She's a bit too sort of forgiving on that front. Of like, you know, oh okay, I'll let you go. And I'm going to kiss you for, for everything else you've done. Um. Yeah. But yeah. It, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, you're right about uh, about her character. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think you're you're right that she she isn't really a, a clear presentation. And if this movie does not know how it really sees women outside of, you know, being, you know, a seamstress is feminized and, you know, all of this nonsense. 
Um, it also has a race issue, and it's not just the villain. Uh, mm. as, as far as I know, the only other uh, non-white person, there are a few people like in the backgrounds, but is the cop that... Um, Benjamin Bratt, yeah. Well, Benjamin Bratt, right. But but also there's the, the old cop who oh, was the helicopter yeah, pilot, yeah. right? Yeah. Was was one of these reforms to make Los Angeles way white? Now, now there are underground, like there's this thing about speaking Spanish for the person serving rat burgers, and he reply and he replies with like prego and you know, I mean this there's this horribly sort of like you know, racist kind of linguistic racism going on there that's really uncomfortable. Well, yeah, and I again, I want to ask about this because obviously, you know, California, you know, is is replete with Hispanics. Like it's, it, it was part of you know Mexico, like Southern California yeah, it's was called was Los always... Angeles and San Andreas. And so I was curious about that because, if again, we talk about the race off. For the first time ever in this film, I did notice that where I was like, when they go underground, everybody's really diverse. Uh-huh. <laughs> there's, there's lots of black and Hispanic and all these different kinds of actors, men and women and children. And then you're like, huh, again, this is where the satire should be really biting. This is where, if it was Robocop, there would be this real sort of call out of um how they're not if anything like i would make the the underbelly world less sort of like you know a shithole less mad max and more a case of like we found this place and you know what we we, we can survive here it's a hard but we celebrate like we celebrate living and all this other stuff and have this thing be a representation of all these cultures and have this thing of sort of like show that you know we have to i don't know there's a way of doing it but it doesn't it just sort of goes yeah we've chosen these people that we think should be lower class and it it looks really uncomfortable it is really uncomfortable um but then even like if that is satire that would be satire of this liberal utopian society and the satire of the film you know, at least as I understand it, should be that this caveman destroys everything. Mm. Um, no, no, that doesn't mean that you can't have more complicated depictions in which, you know, that utopia is, no, not without its flaws. But it seems to me that, like, compare this to RoboCop. I mean, RoboCop is a corporate fascist future, right? Yes. So the satire has a very clear target. You know, you think of the commercials, which are so brilliant. Um, mm. You know, we know the the point is an over-commercialized, over-capitalistic culture. Um, and we know what the target is of that. I'm not sure exactly what the target is of some of this stuff. Like, what is the point they of him don't. being effeminized because he has the skill of knitting? Does that mean the future is too feminine? But I'm supposed to see him as the problem if it's a satire. Yeah, and, and this is where it, it doesn't know. You know what I mean? This is where sort of like they're not they they clearly do want to do a satire, and you because you do get like you know you, you talk about the the feminization like you know, uh, and also the anti Japanese just just mm. to highlight because they're all wearing kimonos, they're all wearing robes. There's a very sort of like anti Eastern feel to all this as well. You know, the influence of Japan, that sort of the fear from the, you know, again, 
I told you they were talking to Wesley Snipes on the the set of Rising Sun. There was in the early nineties, you know, uh, Rising Sun, Black Rain. You know, there was a real anti-Japanese sentiment. Yeah. Um, and that it comes through this film. You also get Assistant Bob. Um, Nigel Hawthorne's sort of like, and again, he's very effeminate. He's very sort of like, you know, camp. I'm never entirely sure if he's supposed to be gay, but there is still that. You know, he faints when the gun goes off and all these other things. There's moments like that, and you know, when he sort of, when they sort of uh, in the in the meal, when that woman is calling out John Spartan as being a you know a relic of a bygone age, he's he's like ooh, and he's got his hand to his mouth. He's he's camping it up. He's he's a great Mm. little character. He's, yeah. His allegiances swing from sort of mm. you know from person to person. He's very in, he's very funny, but again, it's that thing of going like if you wanted to sat if you're a, if you want to be a conservative Republican film, which is you know either you are either going to satirize what a future liberal state would be, in which case John Spartan is the hero of your film, right, and then you can't therefore he is going to be right to blow it all up, or it's you're leaning into the fact that this is a better future, but it's been but it's verging on becoming this totalitarian state, and therefore he is the problem, and you know that sort of thing. But again, it doesn't know. Yeah, I actually thought about wearing a kimono for it because <laughs> you know we do the video as well as as audio uh, on YouTube. Um, so I do own a kimono, but but people would accuse me of cultural appropriation. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, you know, I think you're right. And I think that there is this sort of, I mean, this sort of South Park thing I associate it with mm. sort of um, uh, equivocation in your satire where it's like, yeah, the conservatives don't care that our, our, our rivers catch on fire as they literally yeah. did in the 70s. But uh, then again, um the environmentalists are a little smug and self-righteous. Yeah. You know, it's like, no. I mean, so you're right that, I mean, I don't know that it's impossible to do a satire that satirizes both sides to some degree. But yes, this movie, it doesn't seem clear that it knows what it's doing with that satire. And I feel as if it comes, the end result, especially because of the narrative, and because of the way it's framed that we're supposed to like that protagonist, it's certainly supposed to be a happy ending. It doesn't feel as complicated to say the ha- ending of Total Recall um, or even of the re- first two Robocop films. Um, you know, I, it ends up being a kind of like arch conservative manifesto almost. I, If I was to reboot this, and we've already talked about this, and I've just had this thought. What is this going to satirize? As if you were to reboot this in 2021 or 2022, well, time you've got it filmed. Extremes. This is a satirization of extremes. And Cocteau represents that extreme left, you know, of control. And it should be, the story should be that thing of, he started in the middle, or he started with a dream, he started with this idea, and totalitarianism has sort of come out of this thing because he realizes like many of us do that most people are fucking idiots and need to be told what's good for them and he has taken that opportunity but it's sort of like liberal totalitarianism is, is an ex is that extreme but it's also taking satirizing the extreme conservative view which should be represented by um john spartan mm-hmm. this thing of like you almost burnt the world with your rampant violence and gun love 
you know, and now we're going to kill he, the village to save it. Exactly. Yeah. Like the, the, the peacemaker, even like, peacemaker in the most recent sort of Suicide Squad film mm. is exactly that. Like, I will kill every man, woman, and child to achieve <laughs> peace. That's that should be the sentiment. Like, John yeah. Spartan should almost be that. You know, this sort of like rampant patriot that's driven. You know, that has all the guns and all this other stuff. Like, he should be that character that's going to do that. I, and that's why he's the Demolition Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he will destroy the things to save the thing. Um. But he should get him seeing this possible future, you know, where where sort of Phoenix is going like, oh, this is these people have become weak and I can I can run rampant for fun in an almost jokerish way in this world. Spartan's journey should be by the end of it of. Yeah, Cocteau is wrong and needs to be stopped, but I don't shouldn't exist here either. And I want to see that if you want to give him that heroic end, at least give him that arc, that journey to see a better future that he thought he was trying to reach, but he doesn't he can't live in. And it makes me think of this idea of like the what I, I often I can't remember what the philosopher was. I read it a while ago, but the warrior can't live in the village. Mm, mm-hmm. The people that protect the village can't live in the village. They are different. They are separate. You know, this idea of sort of like, you know, you, you can't live in the thing you're trying to protect because you are carrying that violence and that thing. You, you act as a barrier, not as a participant and that sort of thing. Like there was a way of doing this about extremes, but this wants to cover everything. It's just sloppy in that, in that way. Well, I mean, while I, you know, I do believe that there is such a, there is such a thing as sort of liberal totalitarianism mm. and problems on the left. Having said that, I don't think that that's the way this movie should go. Um, and I, I think that the ending for me, which is very tacked on a sort of Schwarzenegger saying, you know, like, where do we go from here? You've destroyed our society. Yeah. Which he hasn't really done. It's just he's taken, you know, the, the leader of that society has fallen down. And it's like, golly gee, what do we do without our leader? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then Schwarzenegger's like, well, you give a little Alone. and you give a little. And we meet yeah. in the middle. Dead wrong. First of all, he wouldn't say that because he's on one extreme. Uh, he literally represents one of the mm. two polarities. But I also think, no, that's dead wrong. Um, it, it's sort of like the ending of Metropolis, you know, with the mediation of the heart and the mind, except that makes sense, right? You've got to have logic and compassion. This is just, oh, you know, both sides have a point and I don't know which to which to believe it. No, actually, you know, this is a case where the moderate is the idiot. And yeah. on all of these issues, there are right answers. Um, so, you know, I mean, look. I'm the first person to to hate, uh, you know, um, most speech codes, certainly codes against cursing, things like this. You know, I'm not again. I've shot uh, guns. I'm not scared of guns, but I think there's a place for them on gun ranges and, you know, in safe elements uh, that don't have to be taken into our cities and into, Mm -hmm. you know, urban areas. Um, Now, but I think that on issue after issue, the shock is that this society has gone so far. But it doesn't yeah. mean that though that we're not going to get there eventually or that that's a wrong place to go. And if you took somebody from 100 years ago and you, you brought them forward to today, they would say, you've got these amazing cars, right? Cars yeah. are new. You've got these amazing planes. You've got 
space flight, you've been on them. All of this is amazing. I want to drive one of those cars. You say, yeah, but you don't have a license. Wait a minute. I have to have a license to use one of these things? What you know, this is totalitarian. This is too far. And and Mm. we say, no, it's not. You know, we have the internet. You know, we we can check out all of this. I'm going to ask Alexa for information and it's going to give it to me. Mind bending and amazing and scary. It's so amazing. It seems like magic. Yeah, but they track your information and they know everything you've said. And and that person's going to say, that's a, a terrible intrusion on the individual. And we're going to say, no, it's not. We've decided to make this compromise. You can opt out of the system and, and live without electronics if you want. But this is part of the price we pay for that. Mm-hmm. And on the whole, we have decided to pay that price. So to me, the satire has to be more one directional. It has to be the satire of that crow magnet. Not that the liberal side has to be depicted as perfect. perfect. Yeah. But that, you know, all of us are prisoners of our time. And I frankly look forward to the day. <laughs> and, and, it, and it has come to one degree or another. There are issues where I think, oh, my God, I, you know, if the left keeps doing this, I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> but, you know, all of us, if we live long enough and a society progress long enough, get to a point where we say, you know, no matter how liberal or innovative we are, yeah, you know, I think maybe we've gone too far. But that's for the next generation to figure out. Mm. And this movie could could play that, but I, I, I would push against the sort of South Park. Extremes are, are the problem. Okay, yeah, I could see that. I could see that working. Um, I definitely think that, you know, uh, we'll wrap up in a second, but I definitely think, like I say, I enjoyed this. Let me just be clear, clear as final thoughts, really. I really enjoyed this film. Like, you know, it's a great action film. It's fun. I think the cast, for the most part, are great. I think Wesley Snipes is really good. He has, he's clearly having a lot of fun. Apparently he was improvising quite a lot on set. Stallone's being Stallone. It's a good, solid action film. Um, I love some of the set design. I think the car design's good. Um, I think you know, it, there's stuff in this that really works. Um However, there's also a film here that I'm sort of thinking, like I say, we mentioned, we've mentioned Robocop and Robocop 2. Um, I'd even say like Starship Troopers, you know, that Verhoeven's level of satire that you could be like, yeah, this film could be awesome. Where like, you could really dig in and do something special. Um, and I, I'm, I'd love to see, if anything, I would, you know, uh, Nighthawks and other Stallone vehicles are getting a reboot, which is fine. That sounds like a good idea. Redo, redo Demolition Man and make it a really strong satire. You could do it now. I think it's even more biting now than it could, it would have been in 93. So, yeah, I enjoy this film, but I think there's a, there's a much better film to be had in here. Um, and again, bring back, like, there's action stars that you could bring back. Sod it, Stallone could probably do it again, and I'm sure he would. Yeah. Um, but these are the people that would do it, and I'm sure he'd be very good at it. Um, the age Stallone yeah. for the beginning, and just say the cryogenics, you know, well, there's this other thing that isn't resolved in the movie of sort of like having nightmares in the cryogenics and, and what exactly is going on there. But mm. you just say, oh, the cryogenics doesn't completely stop you, you know, so you can justify like the old Arnie and Terminator <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. I, mean, I agree the, the, with you. There's ways and means. But any final thoughts from Julian regarding Demolition Man? I think interesting. The This is an interesting movie. It's not a bad movie. 
Um, mm. You know, there is a version of this movie that is really good and, and a lot better than it is. And especially that sort of middle hour or middle sort of hour and 20 minutes is uh, is actually really enjoyable. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, uh, the one thing we didn't mention, actually, which I wanted to quickly mention, is the museum scene. The whole thing in the museum is really yeah. interesting. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I do recommend this. Go check it out. If you haven't watched it, go check it out. It's a good, solid action film. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for, for, for joining us in 20, uh, 2032. Let's see what the next sort of 12 years have got to offer for us. And um, don't forget, uh, like us on Twitter at Pod Time Space. Yeah. And go to the Patreon. We really depend on that and support that. We're on that talking about Twilight Zone. And um, next up is Strange Days. Yes, I'm looking forward to this one. Another mid-90s, um, sort of uh, less action-y, uh, but, you know, got some good ideas, some sort of, um, yeah, it's like cyberpunk kind of ideas. Another one that had a, a weirdly made in 1995, depicts the year 2000, because it has the turn of the millennium, <laughs> and advances technology massively it's a it's a it's got some really weird ideas but it's actually it's a, it's a it's a film i'm really looking forward to talking about um but yes as i say julian's right find us and talk to us about uh on uh, pod at pod time space seriously if you're a stallone fan and there are some out there, there's a couple of people i know uh that i'm sure will have something to say about what we've said uh, come and check us out come and speak to us check out the patreon it's uh, uh www.patreon.com slash two zero uh, CG Media, uh, M E D I A, uh, and there's all kinds of stuff on there. Loads of podcasts. There's a, there must be hours and hours of podcast material on there now. F you know, just join one of those tiers and check it out. Uh, you won't be uh, you won't regret it. And there'll be a link below as well. So, but yes, yeah, Strange Days. Um, and then we're getting on to you know we will get away from this was all my choice. I think Strange Days was a choice between us. Um, but we've got after that um, Event Horizon, Gattaca. Uh, open your eyes vanilla sky and the found uh, the fountain we've got some massively good films coming up so you know uh hopefully you've enjoyed the back catalogue and you'll enjoy what's coming up next but uh, other than that julian as always it's been an absolute pleasure talking uh demolition man great fun i always learn talking with you i love doing this podcast i hope yeah. listeners love it you know half as much as i do it's great fun. It's always good fun. And ladies and gentlemen, I hope you are enjoying it. And uh, you will join us uh, in the future for some uh, strange days. Bye.